Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, that doesn't tend to change from week to week, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon, that doesn't tend to change week to week either. Say hello, Andrew. Well, hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing since we last saw each other? Well, uh, I find myself unchanged since we last saw each other. Um, how are you doing since we last saw each other? Um, oh, I'm I'm feeling um, I'm feeling peppy and jaunty actually. <laughs> Fuck you. Which, which for, those, for those who actually have listened to the previous episode, will sort of understand why um, that comes up. Anyway, yeah. So we've got um, one of those one of those songs today that I would regard as being, um, you know, a biggie and, and a really important song, but for lots and lots and lots of, of different reasons. Um, you know, one of those, those songs that, um, you know, you know, the, the terminology of music has, has kind of changed a lot recently. Now people talk about dropping, everything gets dropped and you have deep cuts. Whereas before we just had like good album tracks where well, this is a really really good album track and yet also at the same time a really bad one that was my best partridge impression okay over to you big guy okay uh, <laughs> you're bigger than i am um, <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> uh, right yes good so um yeah you can't do that um Oh dear. Uh, where to begin with this one? Uh, oh, let's begin. I have to try and begin on a positive note. I think musically, this is an absolute cracker. Uh, I think musically, this begin is an at the absolutely beginning? phenomenal song. I mean, I think musically, mm -hmm. you're right. But I think actually, you said where to begin. Let's begin at the beginning. I mean, this is a phenomenal introduction. And for those of you oh, with, yeah. with, with memories that go back two weeks, you'd have heard yet another of the episodes where we talk about the fact that the Beatles opened with the you know the like the key refrain or, or chorus but actually no we get something even better here we get that that guitar work by george that just leads us in beautifully to to the, the really kind of bluesy rhythm it's phenomenal it is it is it's it's a lovely little guitar phrase and it's just one of those things which seems so effortlessly effortlessly done that you just it kind of almost takes your breath away it's it's fantastic and it's got that lovely it's got that lovely jangle to it it's just a a great way into the song uh ringo then follows that up with some really great work as well it's a it's a great song for ringo this um and it's just musically really together you know in the last episode one of the things i was talking about uh was the fact that uh, a lot of the songs on this album are a little bit samey because, uh, you know, Lennon wrote a lot of them and a lot of them follows a relatively similar pattern. Um, one of the one of the things I mentioned is uh, with uh, uh, When I Get Home is that it's based around sevenths. And so is this song. It's G seventh, C seventh, D seventh. It's almost exactly the same chords. And yet everything is better about this song. And again, that's not particularly to slag off When I Get Home, but it's just so well put together and this is uh, a song where you feel the band are really making an effort musically here it's it's tight it's really well put together uh yeah you mentioned that uh lead guitar solo uh which is a lennon unusual lennon lead guitar solo which is great um it just all hangs together incredibly well musically it's it's a very very good musical song yeah so let's let's 
maybe sort of delve into to a few bits on that and, and see what links we can make to, to others. Obviously, as um, uh, when I get homes fresh in, in our mind, you know, we talked about the, the kind of the repetition of that whoa, whoa, hi. Um, and that, that, you know, on the fifth time, it's like, rock really, guys, again. But actually, when the Beatles are, are on top form, that element of repetition works really well. So, for example, the the intro is also the the end of the song as well. It's almost as though they they've sort of heard something in um in in the way that that's played, the way that it it it, it starts the song. I think, well, actually, do you know what? That would also work at the end, and then you've kind of bookended uh, everything else within it really well. Um, and once you get to the end, you're then reminded of how it started. And you're kind of reminded of that big impact that the opening has. That's a really, really clever thing to do. It's also very simply but cleverly put together. And it's the old pop thing. Well, now it's the old pop thing. Of course, then it was probably the new pop thing. The, for the first run through of, um, you know, of uh, the, you know, the verses. I mean, there isn't really a chorus, is there, as such? No, it's, it's just that the, the, um, the verse sort of ends with you know you can't do that um but it's the um the first run through it's just john singing and it's on the second run through that we get the backing vocals coming in so you have you know as the Beatles were doing on on um the please please me album as well they're layering their songs with sophistication as they go through and adding and building almost to the point of of, of you know that sort of little crescendo you know, you're giving the audience more and more and more uh, as you go through until you get to that guitar solo. When suddenly, you know, it's not just the guitar solo; it's the um, the, the the vocals of "You Can't Do That" over the top, as though okay, so I didn't realize it was John playing the guitar solo. Fair enough. Um, almost as though that that maybe that is implying that the guitar solo is standing in for John singing. And they're still playing, they're still singing the backing vocals in the background. I mean, that's in incredibly well constructed, well thought out. I mean, today we would regard that as, as like, you know, almost classic structuring. But bear in mind, this is, you know, early 1964. And this was one of the, the, the first songs they recorded for the album as well. It's, it's stunningly well done, however simple it may be to us now. You know, it's simple in its complexity. Well, quite. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously, duff of the hat to uh, to one Mr. George Martin as well for, for the way that it's produced. It's another song which really benefits from the lightness of, of, of his touch and, and everything comes across clearly, whether it's the, well, yeah, that, that absolutely great guitar solo, Ringo's Cowbell. I mean, again, you know, love a cowbell, can't go wrong there. You know, it's just it's just all put together actually it's not Ringo that plays cowbell on this sorry it's it's um it's Paul McCartney that plays cowbell on this I do apologize um I wouldn't want to be factually inaccurate on a podcast that would be, that'd be well, that's, that's um, yeah to, it's just that's according to Ian McDonald that's according to Ian McDonald and you know I mean am I going to contradict him no let's just assume that he's probably right and, and, and quietly move on there's a cowbell it's great it really adds something to the song uh so I'm happy with that and you know it's just it is it's so well put together and like you know all those climaxes that you were talking about that's that's really 
an important part of the structure, but also that slide up uh, the the note on the word green. Everybody's green, and it gives you that little little peak, that little push back up that you can come. Uh, just small small details. It, it didn't need to be sung that way, but it shows the extra effort that's being put in. It could have just been everybody's green. That works fine. It doesn't doesn't you know necessarily come across as any worse, but it's just that extra little push which is being given to the song that that adds yeah all those little details all those little little finicky bits all little crinkly bits around the edge it it just makes all the difference in the world to the song yeah and and even in that i was going to call it a middle eight but it occurs twice in the song can you have a middle eight or maybe there's a one third and a two third eight anyway let's let's call it the bridge the bridge take me yeah okay fair enough um, <laughs> even that builds to um you know a really suitable climax before then cutting straight back in into the verse as well so it is it, it's just a song of, of of you know really well thought out climaxes um you know impressively done um and you know referring to um mcdonald um you know your mention of cowboy just for a quick look down of course it says start on drums and conga and you know what? I've just got a line of middle-aged white office workers at a Christmas party um, dancing their way <laughs> through the studio with, with Ringo at the front. I know that's not the case, but please let me have my, my imagery. It, it, it sort of I, th- I, think, I think that's an image worth preserving. And let's face it, of all the Beatles who are most likely to lead a conga line, it's Ringo, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely, Ringo. Ringo. Ringo would be Ringo would be the head of the conga. George would be a little bit embarrassed at the back. Paul would be in the middle, <laughs> giving it loudly, and and John would be slouching against the wall, not wanting to get involved. That's my well, that's my Beatles conga lineup. Be involved, but but also really annoyed that Cynthia's in the middle and that the, the good looking guy from the council <laughs> has got his hands on her backside. Um, you know, I'm not saying that that's anything anything linked to uh, um, anything that's going on, but you know, in in fairness to him. Um, um, McDonald is, in my opinion, absolutely right when he says, as a performance, it's among the best from this period, um, you know, and re- even refers to the, the, the most exciting vocal, uh, backing vocal arrangements and, and the tightening tension of the guitar solo. And he's, he's absolutely spot on. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's not just him who's, who's got this down to a T. And I thought this was quite an interesting one as well. I've been um, reading a lot, even though it's, it's you know, only tangentially Beatles related, Bob Stanley's uh, book, Yeah, 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 Story of Modern Pop. Um, and actually, you know, he refers to, to this having a serrated sound, which, you know, I absolutely agree with. Um, and in terms of the camera, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just read this short passage because there's quite a bit for us to pick out. It says, the relentless cowbell and vicious guitar break make for an enjoyably sadistic experience that again, looks towards the bristling aggression of the kinks opening brace of hits you really got me all day and all of the night later in the year and then it, it, it does go on to compare it to um you know this aggression that lennon has um to um to, to rock rock hard linking it to things like everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey or sounds uh, sound spiteful run for your life but later he turned it on himself with the year blues uh, cold turkey the flip side of this nasty streak and remember this is where we're sort of heading into lyrical territory we might not go there quite yet um, was the reflective apology jealous guy either way he says the listener wins and, and i, I kind of got to agree with him there um you know it, it really stands out because of it but in particular what i like is the 
uh, and I hadn't really made this connection before, uh, but just about how much this does foreshadow those those opening kinks hits. Now, I know that Ray Davis would almost certainly deny there's any connection whatsoever. Um, you know, famously a man who um, wasn't necessarily a massive um, fan of, of some of the Beatles' best work. But you can see that there's Fair a connection say. there. You could see that there's there's an energy and, and, and a cutting edge to it that also then shines through in um, All Day and All of the Night and You Really Got Me. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that I delved into to Bob Stanley's book there. It, it, it just sort of makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it's one of the things which, I mean, we'll, we will definitely bump up against this again uh, when we get to uh, Run For Your Life. But it is one of the things which makes the discussion around this song slightly difficult because there is because the music is so good and i think this is true of run for your life as well there's kind of an internal desire to kind of not forgive the lyric for what it is or for what it's trying to say but just to kind of i don't know not skate over it that's not right either but but there's a i don't know there's a pleasure to this song which comes from the fact that the music is so good and so powerful, so well put together, that when you get to the kind of the difficulties of the lyric, you kind of want to just sort of say, well, you know, it's just lyrics. Like the last song we were talking about, we were saying, you know, oh, well, it's it's just stock phrases. Lyric doesn't really matter. But the music was kind of a bit, you know, samey. This is kind of the flip side where the music... Um, is really really something and maybe the song would be better if it was just a collection of stock phrases because you know we you know we're gonna have to talk about the 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 the, the content of the lyrics shortly but but there is a kind of i don't know there is a kind of pleasure to it as well however objectionable you think they are or however difficult um they are to sort of modern sensibilities the the, the performances and and i include lennon's vocal in this because i think it's a really great vocal performance from lennon as well um you know it, it's hard not to get sort of taken along with it um and uh that's that's one of the reasons that this song can be uh, can be a difficult one to discuss so to to, to make um, um a leap into the realm of american politics um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas um, ha is apparently close friends with um, a very, very rich, influential um, um, right winger who um, is known to own several paintings by Adolf Hitler. Now, there are very few reasons to want to own a painting by Adolf Hitler, but even if you were to attempt to put on one side the um everything else about him you know if there wasn't that i don't want to say notoriety notoriety understands if he, if he wasn't the bastard that he clearly was no one would be interested in his paintings at all because there there's not great technique in there you can read about the fact that compared to a lot of other people at the time you know the reason why he wasn't a famous artist was because really he wasn't as good as as all the people who were famous simplification i know um so there's clearly another reason why someone is interested in that. However, um, and yes, I'm about to compare Woody Allen to Hitler. I know it's odd. Just roll with it and don't put this in the opening um, um, blurb for this episode, please, if you don't mind. <laughs> the opening five minutes or so of, of Manhattan 
is is absolutely stunning spectacular um cinema and and i i, I would watch that i mean there's a lot that's wrong with manhattan in terms of older man younger woman creepiness but that opening is just absolutely fantastic and there were times when clearly woody allen was a funny no doubting that i mean some lines from from um, annie hall come to mind as being some of the funniest things i've ever heard um you know clever but also beautiful as well so you kind of get into that dilemma don't you so well knowing what i know do i now go back and and watch those films again if if the opportunity arises and you know would you enjoy it in the same way so we we, we do need to think about that that lyrical sense and and whether or not it represents something that spoils the rest of the work i think it it does affect the way you think about it i don't think you can blindly go into this song and and just ignore the lyrics but you can be conscious of them and maybe um hopefully find them abhorrent but also understand that there's something about the emotion in the song that still makes it work and the song itself is is a brilliant construction so we can talk about the lyrics we can also acknowledge that the words don't indicate the feelings of of or always indicate the feelings of the people that write it maybe it did in this case in which case the third part of that is that people change but then on the contrast we also have to accept that casual talk can create difficulties for others and certainly social conditions at the time um were still such i'm going to talk about 1964 in a very simplistic fashion um where old values were still very much in force and it's interesting then when you know you sort of delve back into the craig brown book and the craig brown highlights a few establishment figures who clearly disliked the beatles because of the way in which they were changing society and yet actually what you've got here are, are values being expressed that uphold some of those old notions of society of you know well we're, we're, i'll delve into some specifics in the lyrics um in a moment and it kind of reminds you that we're a long way from um 18 uh, 1866 1966 and all that um and of course we're a long way from um that element of the sexual revolution we're a long way from um legalized abortion we're a long way from well, a short way but um, i suppose in terms of time it's the long way morally and emotionally from um um, the right to birth control we're also a long way still about 10 12 years from specific legislation um on domestic abuse as opposed to just using other acts that might refer to um you know abuse in in many kinds and i was, I was reminded of that because um we were watching um the um, itv drama on Raoul moat uh, that's been on over here in over here in the uk i say that because i know we've got um a significant percentage of american listeners um and, and you know realmo is oh i don't know how to describe it but basically um um he was a he was a killer killed a policeman um a convicted criminal anyway and anyway all sorts of horribleness going on there and as you do sometimes at the end of the the final episode um of the the drama it refers to the fact that in england and wales every week on average there are still two women 
who were killed by their partners. Um, and whilst I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that, that John Lennon um, contributes to that in, in any, you know, any way at all, but you could also argue that he was soaking up the, the norms of the time and, and reinforcing the norms of the time. Um, and however vociferous he may have been later on, that you know he had changed, we still have to reflect on the fact that this is an issue that is painful for an awful lot of people. So yes, me in my white male middle-aged middle-class world can look at it and go, what a brilliant song, it's fantastic. By the way, the lyrics are a bit dodgy. There will be an awful lot of people who I think justifiably will say, I don't think you should listen to this because of what the lyrics represent. It's a difficult argument. And I realise I've made you sort of sit there and, 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 and listen to that for, for a few minutes. But I think it's it, it's worth saying that um, other views other views are available and that, that perhaps sometimes um, you kind of have to listen to it through um, other people's perspectives as well. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I, th I do think the sociological aspect of this is important. You know, I mean, so much of what surrounded that is, is, you know, what we would now probably refer to as something like toxic masculinity. But that idea of, you know, the man being in charge of being, you know, very dominant of, of, of being able to treat women in this kind of way. It, it was part of the culture in the early 60s. And, you know, it's something that that you know, Lennon himself admitted that he he fed into. He didn't really question it. It wasn't something that he he really understood. And it was all only in later life that he came to sort of reflect and understand. I mean, I don't know specifically how many times he may have indulged in uh, domestic violence with Cynthia, but there was definitely one time where he he, he thumped her, um, and that does also color how you you view this. If it happened once, it would be surprising if it, that never happened again. But at the same time maybe that was a trigger to stop. Um, I don't want to go too far down that line because I haven't, I haven't really done enough research on that side to be able to go much further. But the fact is that he would uh, he would these days have been referred to as somebody who indulged in, in domestic abuse. So when you read that alongside these lyrics, it is important to, to bear that in mind. And again, it is, it is the problematic aspect of this song because um, if this was just a bad song, which had really bad lyrics to it, really objectionable lyrics, then it would be easy to dismiss. Part of the problem, and, and again, Run For Your Life is hovering in the horizon there, but part of the problem is this isn't a bad song. It's an extremely well-constructed song. And so you therefore have to, uh, you know, you have to factor that in when you're discussing it. And it's not even, it's not even a question of separating the art from the artist, although there is an element of that as well. But it's... Yeah, it is one of the problems when when it comes to dealing with a you know a piece of art which is still genuinely good but which has objectionable content in it and there isn't there isn't an easy way to square that circle you know the last thing that we should be doing is ignoring it or or glossing over it um, but you know any kind you know all you know, everything context is everything um, and that doesn't excuse or forgive it but it does offer an, an insight and understanding into it and and you know helps to describe why why it is what it is and and also why it's you know entirely unacceptable uh, it, it's interesting that this song went on to be uh you know quite a life staple as well you know it gets churned out a lot and it enters the live sets very quickly and nobody seems to pause for breath 
And, um, you know, from a musical perspective, I think that's incredibly easy to understand. It's a frenetic song. It's full of energy. The, like the, the call and response backing vocals are really, really good as well. Like it's a fun song to listen to. Like you mentioned that uh, the, the, the George Harrison introductory riff, which um, Lennon will basically just steal for Ticket to Ride. Um, it's, it's that good. And it, it kind of works again. So it's great. Um, you know, there's so much about this song which is positive. So it's understandable why, yeah, why it entered the live set, why it was being played all the time, why why people were fond of it. Nobody seems to have stopped and thought about what it was actually about. Now, whether that's simply because, oh, it's just a dumb pop song, we don't look at this in 1964, or, or whether it simply never occurred to anyone, whether it was, ah, well, never mind, you know, I don't know. It's and and there isn't there isn't ever going to be a definite answer to that. But yeah, yeah, context is incredibly important when when going over this. The other relevant, uh, oh, another relevant recent example was the um, the Welsh Rugby Football Union um, saying that um, before their home games in Cardiff, they would no longer um, play a song that is is sung widely by by Welsh rugby fans. Um, which is um, um, Green Green Grass of Home, which is actually about um, um, a killer and, and um, um, I think a wife uh, murderer. Oh, that's a bad expression. Anyway, um, and of course there was um, uproar because, oh, you know, you can't take this away from us. We've been singing it for so long, so on and so forth. And you think, well, no one's stopping you from singing it. All they're saying is they're, they're not going to play it anymore. You can still sing it. Um and, and so we are kind of immersed in, in these discussions at the moment about um, the validity of things like this. Um, and, you know, you think maybe... Wasn't Delilah also... Delilah, were, were they not going to stop singing Delilah at one point I, as well? I knew as I said it, it was the wrong one. But I thought, OK, right, fine. I'll just sort of say it quietly enough in the hope that, that no one would hear it. Or that, that we could maybe drop in the correct one at a later <laughs> stage. You are right, it is Delilah. Um, I got my Tom Jones mixed up there. Um, you know, but Fair also then discussions about whether or not it's okay to go back and to change some of the words in in Roald Dahl books from things that were particularly offensive. And and I think I'm correct in saying he did change some himself. I think originally the Oompa Loompas were called something which was uh, much more vile and disgusting. Um, so th- th- these debates have been around for a while, um, but. You know, with specific reference to the words and not necessarily attributing them to to Lennon. I, I you know, despite the fact that, that we talk regularly on this Beatles podcast, it doesn't mean I go away and I read up about Lennon. Um, you know, some of the anyway, some biographies you can read, you just wonder exactly how much truth there is in them. However, I, I'm gonna um, you know, refer to um, Simon Armitage poem. Simon Armitage is our current poet laureate over here and quite a while ago he wrote a poem called Poem um, and it's actually written in, in sonnet form um, and this is the you know so um, you know it's it, three quatrains and then, then a couplet and the second of the, the quatrains uh, goes and every week he tipped up half his wage and what he didn't spend each week he saved. Good guy and praised his wife for every meal she made, and once, for laughing, punched her in the face. And the couplet at the end says, here's how they rated him when they look back. Sometimes he did this, 
sometimes he did that. Now, Armitage isn't trying to lessen the impact of either the good things or the bad things. He's effectively saying to, to us, well, make your own mind up. Do all of those good things um, balance, outweigh, make up for in any way, shape or form the vile things that he does? And and all three of the quatrains are the same. You have three lines where he's doing nice, normal, everyday things. And then the last line is, is something you know, absolutely awful, like stealing from his, his mum, for example, although it's only a small amount, does that make a difference? You know, and then you, you sort of, you get into some of the language um, in um, you can't do that. And, and I think it is worth spending a bit of time looking at some of the choices that, that have been made, because I think they are significant, um, because they are much more pointed than the things I mean I'll cry instead has some lyrics that are questionable but these are you know quite pointed I'll pick out a few examples you know like I've got something to say that might cause you pain well John do you need to say it yeah you're actually saying I'm, I'm gonna hurt you with this okay um, if I catch you talking to that boy again and you think oh no oh, she must have been doing this a lot to rile poor old John um, okay I'm going to let you down and leave you flat. Now, is that clever play work, play on words or leave you flat? Is that flat as in sad, depressed, or is that flat as in laid out on your back on the floor? Don't know. Um, as Simon Armitage might say, sometimes he did this, sometimes he did that. Um, because I told you, um, you, oh, you can't do that. And you think, oh, that's, well, they've talked about it before. So, you know, it's reasonable then at this point, maybe that John has brought it up. Because if they've discussed it before, maybe he's he sort of pointed out the fact that actually it makes me uncomfortable. But he says, well, it's the second time I've caught you talking to him. The second. What? So what? you? This has happened twice. And now we're talking about, um, you know, jealousy. We're talking about leaving you flat. You know, um, and and even then in terms of, you know, everybody's green. Let's assume that that's a, a, a reference to Othello. You know, we'll see. Because uh, I'm the one who won your love. And that expression, things like won your love, is something that you'd still find in a lot of pop music further down the line. The fact that it's a competition, it's a battle. It's it's a one-sided thing where you wear someone down rather than actually you um, you, you have something that, that's perhaps a little bit more collaborative. He says, I can't help my feelings. I'll go out of my mind. Okay, but how is that the woman's problem? You know, there's so much in there. He's worried about people laughing in his face rather than actually worrying about treating someone in a way that, that is, is human. But you know, you just know that there'll be there'll be some, some people who would also use this in the, um, oh God, do I want to mention his name? Um, in the the Andrew Tate sense, who will no doubt say, well, she had what was coming to her because, oh, look what she was doing. You know, she was going against the natural order of things and so on and so forth. These 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 are things that are still around today. And, and I think um, we have to, to sort of think about both sides of it at the risk of, of um, you know, potentially losing audience. But, yeah, we should we should praise the Beatles for the amazing things that they did. But at the same time, we should also say, actually, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. And if this song ever came on on the radio and I was with someone, you know, maybe I would 
think about saying something. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a funny one like that. Um, but I think it is worth us just being absolutely clear that this is this is this is a paranoid asshole um, who's singing this song. Now that's not necessarily John. I think it is. But well, okay, carry on. Fair enough. But but I think then you know there is a decision to be made um, by some people as to whether then this is a song that you know some people might still want to listen to. However strong um, the rest of it is, do the lyrics completely outweigh? Thing now, I personally don't believe that it means you should then altogether disregard everything that he's ever done, because you know that would be a calamity. Um, on the sense of you know who who wouldn't want to listen to all of those those great nineteen seventies albums, um, you know uh, those classic John Lennon uh, tracks like Mother. Um, that everyone loves so much and all of those ones that no one actually listens to on, on his various uh, rather self-indulgent albums sorry John fans, get over it um, you might want to edit that one out JG, that might have been a bit too ranty anyway, carry on um, <laughs> no, 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 too late though you know, for, for all the amazing things uh, that there is in the John Lennon back catalogue I think obviously this and Run For Your Life I, I think they should make Beatles fans squirm a little bit. They should make them wrestle with with that dilemma uh, of what they think about it going forward. Okay, right, I've gone for a long, long time now, and you've been very, very patient while I've been doing my uh, my various bits of analysis. Um, I'm going to shut up for a bit and 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 let you <laughs> jump in. Thank you. I for mean, your, I, for I, your I, I, I I don't. Uh... Thank you for the praise. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I mean, I don't really disagree with anything you said. So I don't have a lot to kind of expand beyond that, other than the sort of sort of fairly self-evident statement that you know it's okay to acknowledge when people that you admire fall short of what it is you admire them for. That's that's okay, and uh, it's important to be able to confront those things without the desire. To, to shy away from it. I, I mean, I completely agree when you said that this should make Beatles fans uncomfortable. It should make them squirm. And yeah, absolutely. And if it makes people think about, you know, what lies behind this song and and, and its relevance, then, then that's probably a good thing. But it's not... Um, yeah, it's it's not one that we should simply um, try and gloss over. And, you know, it's easy to be fulsome uh in in praise with the with the music uh but that doesn't that shouldn't in any way be an excuse to gloss over the the lyrical content what i find interesting is comparing this version to the version which is on anthology um and the anthology version is not massively different from the version which is on the album what it is is it's a little bit rougher and readier it's a little bit more sort of chaotic and it's not quite as tight uh, as as the album version and i think that has a very curious effect in the song as well because the the album version is really pointed it and that uh, some of that is that's where a lot of the nastiness comes from it's a it's i mean it's a vicious lyric of course it is um and like you said it's clearly being sung by a by, by a paranoid arsehole now whether you want to say that's lenin or not I think it probably is at this point but anyway um that's that's fine um but it's it's there's a deliberateness that the clean studio version has which really 
puts an emphasis on the nastier elements of the song. Whereas the slightly more rough and ready version, which is our anthology, it, it doesn't it doesn't forgive the lyric in any way because you couldn't do that with a song like this. But it's it's less unpleasant that the, the slightly more ramshackle approach to the anthology version it blunts it slightly it's that that it doesn't feel as as pointed as vicious as deliberate as as the studio version does or as the album version does i should say um and that's that's kind of an interesting effect to have on a on a version of the, of, of the song which is ostensibly the the less good one after all that's why it's on anthology and and not on the album uh but yeah it, it definitely makes a difference to the emphasis of the song so can I can I just check? Um, anthology is that just a um, um, a different take from the studio recording? Yeah, it's just it's just a different. It's an earlier take from the from the studio recording. So you you say it's rougher, um, and you know significantly would would we notice massive differences? That's the thing. It's not massively different but it's different enough. So Lennon's vocal is is a little less tight. He's not following the melody quite as as well as he does on the album version as well as as technically competent as he does on the album version uh it's a slightly different guitar solo which is maybe a little less um polished a little less clean it's not played in a technical sense it's not played quite as well so it's it's a little bit more chunky um so it's little things like that it's not a big difference but it's a big difference <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I, I, I like your way of putting that. Um, yeah, and were there any? Because on, on a um, things we said today episode, we talked about the the BBC recording, which was a lot slower than some of their their live versions. Now, I, I seem to remember having um, watched some you know dodgy YouTube clips of live versions of this that it's even faster and more raucous than the studio one. Um, were there were there any BBC recordings? Yeah, so it's on uh, live at the BBC, um, which is a pretty decent run through, and it's also a bonus track on the live at the Hollywood Bowl album as well. Um, it that's a that's a pretty fast version. Um, the BBC version is pretty similar. To the studio version, there's 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 not an awful lot in it other than a really really bad voiceover from from somebody who clearly has no interest in what they're listening to at all, um, at the start of the track. Um, but it's not it's 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 comparable. Let's say it that way. Okay, okay. Um, I I haven't I, I've been um, remiss recently on on um, cover versions. I think you've been a bit stronger on covers. I've got one that I'll mention. But um, I think before recording, you mentioned there was a, a Supremes cover that you quite liked. Yeah, there's, there's a Supreme version which which dates from 1964. It's it's uh, uh it's on an album called um, uh, A Bit of Liverpool. Confusingly, there's a song on it called Because, but it's not that because. It's a different because. Um, but, but anyway, it's it's. I think it's one of those things where, again, you see the origin of the song much more clearly when you hear someone else recording it. Um, there's a slight change in the lyric as well. Um, so um, the second verse starts, so it's the second time I've caught you talking to her. It's the second time I caught you being a flirt. 
right. Which okay. is kind of interesting. Um, which which makes sense because because it's being sung by women. So of course the uh, second time you got talking to him wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So it's it's rhyming her and Fleur. However, to, however, talking um, is is quite um, emotionally neutral. Whereas at yeah. least you can sort of maybe sort of say, well, okay, well, what could this person be doing that might cause some frustration at least? Well, absolutely. Um, but it, it's it's interesting to hear it sung in in uh, a style which presumably was actually an influence on the on the musical side of things in the first place. So it does have that kind of that kind of New York black girl group kind of vibe to it musically, the Beatles version. So to actually hear like the Supremes do a recording of it is is interesting. And again, it's it's a little bit slower. It's in that, that kind of classic sort of Supreme style. Um, and the the viciousness and the nastiness of the lyric kind of isn't there in that version. It, it's it's a much softer lyric when it's being sung by a woman rather than by by a, a you know very aggressive kind of lead vocal by a man. And it, it fits in with that kind of uh, that sort of girl group tradition of songs where oh you know somebody my you know my man's been cheating on me or you know uh, will you still be there for me or or you know all that kind of stuff it, it, it feels like it I'm trying to avoid the word vernacular here but it feels yeah. like it fits into that vernacular very well and in a way kind of better than the Beatles version fits into the Beatles vernacular it's a really really interesting cover version I, I strongly recommend that people listen to it okay any others that you've got uh, well, we have to kind of talk about, well, we don't have to, but I'm going to, <laughs> I'm not, not contractually obligated to, but anyway, the kind of, uh, the Harry Nilsson version, uh, which dates from 60, oh God, I was going to say 1967, I better check my facts, because again, I wouldn't want to be uh, wrong on a podcast, it is 67, well done me, um, and it's kind of interesting, um, because it's what's now I mean, you would call it a mashup now. It's you know, it, it's got a whole bunch of other uh, lyrics and melodies from other Beatles songs, but well, up till nineteen sixty seven, anyway, kind of dropped into it. Um, other than the very last line, which is cheesy and corny beyond words, it's actually kind of interesting as well. Um, it's it's a bit okay. This is a slight overreach, but I am going to reach over it anyway. Um, it's a bit you know the Cirque du Soleil Love album where uh, little bits get dropped in here and there, even although you have kind of like the main bulk of the song. It's kind of a little bit of a, a progenitor of that. It, it, it's in a similar vein. It's very short. It's like, I think, two and a half minutes long or something like that. It's, it's not any longer than the original. But it's just interesting to hear somebody do that in 1967. It's, it's really... I was going to say progressive. I'm not sure if that's quite the right adjective, but it's 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 just really interesting to hear somebody kind of trying to pull that off, and it not just being like an, an awful kind of jive bunny stars on forty five atrocity. You know, it's it's like somebody who seems to have really put a bit of thought into it. It's again, it's, it's not perfect by any means, but it's a really interesting listen. Okay, and and of course, big links with um um in in the seventies at least with Ringo and and Joy. Well, yes. Um, so yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, actually, the the one that I've got for you, not as as high profile as as those, um, also has links to the Beatles in the seventies, um, because uh, and this I wouldn't say blew, didn't blow my mind, but the, this amused me no end, that um, that 
some point before he died, Henry McCullough and Danny Sywell um, produced an album called Shabby Road, in which these two founding members, alongside Paul McCartney of Wings, produced a tribute album to the Beatles, which just is the, the oddest thing you, you can possibly think of. Um, it's just so utterly bizarre, because it must have been really difficult for them um, joining a band with Paul McCartney, because um, up till that point, you know, his solo albums had been very much solo albums. So to then sort of say, well, actually, now I want to be in a band and I want to be in a band with, with you know, these guys must have been incredibly intimidating. And for them to, I mean, they didn't necessarily last more than, than a few years in, in Wings, because Wings, of course, had that sort of continual, um, you know, revolution in terms of, of um, um, members, composition. But for them to, to have come out the other side and then to have decided some 25, 30 years later that what they were going to do was produce an album, not of Wings songs, but of Beatles songs, um, you know, I think is, is incredibly interesting. Maybe, of course, it was just an opportunity to try and make some money. Um, you never know. But anyway, their version um, is very slow. Certainly the, the, the live version that I've seen of it is much more in that, um, that old kind of slow down blues tempo, um, which really works for the verse. It doesn't work for the for the bridge, which is which needs to be a little bit more uplifting. It I don't think it quite works at, at that kind of tempo, but um, but yeah, it's it's a curiosity, shall we say, that 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 so many people who had a connection with the Beatles in one way, shape, or form have ended up recording lots of Beatles tracks and that they in I'm not sure when it was maybe it was you know um say let's say mid 2000s and someone can come along and, and and correct us um they chose to put that song on it as well that's really interesting I haven't heard of that before um what where did you find that out of curiosity well uh, not necessarily in in any great um, um internet search but basically, you just need to keep scrolling down the list on secondhand songs, if that's what you use. And you'll find a reference to Henry McCullough's blues band. Um, but actually, um, it's the, the the thing you want to look for is the um, McCullough and Sywell's um, Shabby Road album. And you should be able to find some live tracks uh, from that. Um, because they the things like At Naturally, Can't Buy Me Love, Come Together, From Me To You, Here Comes The Sun, I Saw Her Standing There, Letty Lee, Norwegian Wood, while my guitar gently weeps and then oddly why don't we do it in the road and you can't do that <laughs> that's a that's a uh, that's a brave choice of songs there that's quite the clutch yeah yeah hmm interesting stuff um but also i think interesting um and and yes i am making the transition now um interesting in terms of the the, the discussions and debates we had about how you score this. Um, on the last episode, I teased you a bit because you were umming and ahhing about quite a basic, straightforward song. I'm going to enjoy seeing you tie yourself up in knots um, um, about how you score this one. Yes, well, um, oh God, yeah. Um, I'm going to have so many knots in this one, I think I'm going to have to have a skate round to try and undo them all. It's... <laughs> It's um, good grief. I don't know. I this is this is this might be the hardest song we've had to score so far. 
Um, which which does yeah. make a mockery of of, of, the musically... whole, of of the whole system, really, doesn't it? So. Um... Oh yeah, but that's also what makes it such fun. Ah, so, well. All right, maybe it's maybe maybe we'll divide and conquer. So let's say that the the music here is really good. No, I think we can no, agree no, on that. No, it's, no, it's, not having that. One one score. No, 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 uh, let, no, no, no. Let me finish. Okay. Let me finish. Okay. The music's really good. So I would, if I was purely scoring it on the music, I think I would probably give it about an eight and a half. However, the lyric is appalling. So obviously that's going to pull it down. So I was looking at the two bits separately. Um, I think I'm going to, sp- oh God, uh, five. I'm going to give it five. Uh, there. All right. Your turn. Okay. No, I I think you've done um something very sensible. Yeah, there there is a dilemma. How here. dare you? You there, take that back. There, there there is a dilemma um in this because you don't want to give the wrong impression. Um I'm I'm going to be a little bit more generous than you. Um mostly because throughout a lot of the the episodes we've had so far, I I've actually talked about the fact that I don't pay a huge amount of attention to to the lyrics and it's it's kind of like the emotion that that's significant and i don't remember connecting this when i first heard it in the way that i would connect it now so i'm i'm going to score it on on the basis of someone you know perhaps hearing it at the time and and the emotion that they would have had and i think at that point you know you do have to say it's up there with um um with the best of what they've got to offer up to this point so i'm i'm going to balance you out and say that despite the evilness and the vicious of the lyrics i'm not going to rate it as though it's an adolf hitler painting i'm going to rate it as though it's the um it's a woody allen classic and say it's an eight out of ten. Eight out of ten wow that's a that's a big swing that might be one of the biggest you can argue biggest that what i'm trying to do is, is to encourage interaction from from our our listenership out there as well so if you want to tell me that, that I'm I'm an ignorant so and so, then feel free to contact us. Um, my yes, my email address is whatever JG is uh, suggesting is his email address at the moment. Yes. Uh, well, I I mean if you if you would care to question Andrew's extremely high mark or indeed my extremely low mark, um, then. You can really get a hold of us. Uh, we are contactable by email. We are Beatlestuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, of course. Uh, we are Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of uh, my writing on my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott. Uh, and you can also read some of Andrew's writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. Uh, please also check me, out I, my I other podcast. I haven't actually put anything on for a couple of weeks, so I, I, need, to, um, I need to get something on that. Excellent. Please, please do so. Yes. Uh, yeah. Please also, um, please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, uh, where a noob and an expert uh, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us or whatever podcatcher you're using, so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we will be finishing with the album. So that means it's almost time for us to move on to the movie. But before we do, we have to cover. I'll be back soon. That's what we're going to be doing next time. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.